welcome back to the Debatable Podcast where I talk about big, interesting topics with smart, awesome people and we ask really ambitious questions that almost never have a clear answer. Uh, For the next little while, we'll be discussing representation in Australian entertainment and who has maybe more power to create change. Is that the audience or the people working behind the scenes? So for full disclosure, I've worked in print and digital media before, but never TV, film, live entertainment or any of those kind of categories. But I am joined by someone that has comedian and screenwriter Pavan Dutta, who is, I heard, the youngest person to ever write for Neighbours. Is that true? Um, To my knowledge, (laughs) I think it, it is true. Take it. Take the title. Um, yeah, I think it's the title still standing. So, so you are a screenwriter, and you were just telling me that you're um you're freelancing at the moment. Yeah, I'm freelancing. I'm writing scripts for the show. I don't work um, there in house full time anymore, but I um, which I used to do, but now I just write scripts for the show, and I'm working in like other writers' rooms and whatnot in development for other shows. Um, as well as doing my own comedy sort of stuff on the side. Tell me a little bit about your comedy career as well. Yeah, um, I started um, pretty much the exact same time I joined um, Neighbours and started working in screen. I started doing improv comedy in Melbourne, um, kind of just as a hobby, um, but that slowly sort of sort of snowballed and became like a bigger part of my life and then, and then that's where I met a lot of people that I started collaborating with to do festival shows at Melbourne Comedy Festival and just this year before the world flipped um, I did Adelaide Fringe so quite lucky um, to have like you know performed a live show before everything got shut down I know a lot of my friends here in Melbourne were quite jealous of that yeah how crazy to think like you know doing that show you would have no idea that <laughs> I know yeah it was it was yeah very blissful time <laughs> um, did it go well I'm assuming that it did it was our first time in Adelaide so it was just all a very new experience and kind of the whole uh performing stuff live it was very different to you know my screen career um but it was really exciting we met a lot of great people made a whole bunch of friends did some great shows the only thing that like that really sucked was um, me, my comedy partner, who I performed the show with. We told ourselves that we would save all the shows that were happening at Fringe. We would we wouldn't watch them. We'd wa- we'd watch them when they came to Melbourne. Oh. And so yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you know. Hopefully, things will be you know back on some stage relatively soon and those shows will be back and I'm sure everyone's going to be so keen well I know that I am like dying to just go and see entertainment and be in a crowd of people Mm. again it's like this weird craving yeah as soon as it's safe to do so I'm sure we'll all be chomping at the bit We'll be back on it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, I want to talk today about the Australian media and entertainment landscape, mm-hmm. which is uh, an interesting place to be. So I, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about Neighbours and, and your mm. history writing for Neighbours. Sure. What did you enjoy most about writing for the show? Um, I guess... Uh, the thing I enjoyed the most, I think like it's just such a varied sort of 
base just how how much the genres changed i suppose within the within the show um you know one week you might be like doing a more medical sort of intense story another week you might be doing something that's a bit more thriller or murder mystery and like as the person who was just like i guess cutting their teeth and like trying to figure out um their own voices as as a storyteller that's quite was quite a gift um and like yeah, it was, that was probably the most enjoyable part was just sort of dipping my toes into a whole bunch of different things. You know, I've never thought about soaps like that, I suppose, but it is so true that you have every kind of possible different type of genre or storyline within these shows. Whereas like, you know, if you were working on a medical drama, like that has its remit and there are some things that are very unlikely to come up. Or if you're working on, you know, like a crime show, again, like that has things that will just, you know, come up all the time and it won't stray too much from that formula. But with soaps, you just have everything. Yeah. Everything happens on Ramsey Street. Yeah, and it happens over and over and over again. (laughs) I always used to say, like, no one would live on that street for that long. (laughs) No. Because it would be quickly apparent that it was cursed and you'd leave because it's too crazy. Yeah, all those characters should be in therapy. (laughs) Did you ever want to write that in? Like, let's just do a a whole season where they all just go to therapists and deal with their issues. I mean, I would have loved to, but I think that would have just made... Like everything's such a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Very depressing television. Yeah. <laughs> what was the most like challenging aspect, I guess, of that? Did it come from that variety? Like does that present its own challenges? Um, yeah, the variety, yeah, definitely. Because I guess you're sort of constantly switching the skill set that you're trying to bring to, to, the, to the table um, when you're, I guess, like in the room plotting the show. Uh, the, that probably is the, the probably the, was the biggest challenge for me was I guess just keeping up with the pace of it mm. because it was it moved really quickly like you are plotting like multiple episodes a week um if you're like on the storylining side of the entire affair or if you're like editing stuff like editing scripts then you're editing multiple scripts in a week like it's just a big workload this might be a really basic question I'm sure anyone in the industry would already know the answer but mm. like how far ahead are you working neighbor specifically I think it was like six months from like the inception of a like story idea to it being on screen I think it was six months oh wow okay so it's like mm. a really long time yeah I guess so I'm not sure like what the differences are with other shows I'm sure. to other shows yeah and so yeah. that kind of feeds into my next question about Mm -hmm. the success of storylines and character arcs and all those kinds of things Mm -hmm. how is that particularly knowing now that it's that you know you're working so far ahead how do they measure the success of storylines like what kind of feedback do you guys get in a writer's room to Um, take do do you get any feedback from viewers and fans about what like they liked or they didn't like or yeah I guess for us I mean like I wasn't particularly good at like keeping an ear to the ground about like what the fans were like chattering about and all that sort of stuff but we had people in the room that were more attuned to that and so like they would um you know bring that up but the person who really called the shots was like the person producing the show and you know as much as we might have had our own opinions and fans might have had their own opinions like it was really sort of the producers and like their whatever marketing sort of like brains were like 
telling them to do and telling them to like where the show should be going. That's sort of all like rested with them. You know, like there's a lot of, like there's a lot of passionate fans for that show. I learned, you know, as I like sort of, uh, you know, got deeper and deeper into the, into that world. But uh, sometimes, you know, we don't really, you can't really listen to to the fans that much. I learned, you know, it's like you kind of had to, not give them what they were asking for, but like what you knew they needed, you know. Well, this is like part of, you know, the crucial part of storytelling in any format or genre, right? Like a good story has tension and oftentimes what makes for the best story is the opposite of what the audience wants to happen because otherwise it would just always end so nicely and neatly and the good characters would get, you know, they would win it all and, that's it. It's not interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I guess, yeah, the the fun part was to keep everyone on their toes as much as possible um, and, like, not let stuff leak. Is it really based just, like, on sort of go back to the success of those storylines? Do the producers base it on ratings? Um, yeah, based on ratings, like, there's a lot of relationships that, like, as a person who just, like, was a writer, like, uh, I'm, like, not privy to, but, like, there's yeah. relationships between, like, you know, like, the producers and the network, um, like, Channel 10 and, like, the Channel Channel 5, I think it is, and, like, the UK, um, like, they have, like, specific demands of, like, what they want to, like, have on their channel and, like, what they think the audiences for their shows are, um, and like like the aesthetics of their of their channel as well and mm-hmm. so like um I know in my time working at Neighbours when I started it was like quite you know just like like classic Neighbours sort of stories about like like loves and like affairs and romance and like the hijinks that like people get up to family like, quite, like, family drama but the longer I stayed there um the more uh the network was asking for like more of like um like higher concept stuff and like um so like more like murders and like but like not too dark but like but still high concept so like the order changed a little bit definitely while I was while while I'd been there um and I'm sure that's constantly shifting yeah, right. So that's like it comes, it, it's kind of filtering back through different layers of stakeholders almost, like the networks are feeding back to people who are feeding into producers who are ultimately yeah. feeding back into the writer's room. Yeah. 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 And so then they kind of just say to you guys, like, this is the direction we're going in. Yeah. You know, what? how do we get there? Like, go write the story. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was like left to, left to, the, to the writers in the room. I mean, I don't know if other people think the same thing, but I guess I have the misconception that it would be more so the other way around of like writers pushing out. I don't know why I think that, but I've just always thought that, you know, that it kind of like it starts in the writing room and goes out and they're, you know, that there might be back and forth um, and a feedback loop, but that it definitely started with the writing. So it's fascinating to me that it's not the way it works. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, there was some, like, sort of, um, like, push and pull between the writers and the and the producers of the show because we would come and, like, pitch stories, obviously, try and pitch as many stories as we could to get yeah. approved. And sometimes stories 
may not have fit like within like what a producer might have like imagined for the show but still might tickle their imagination and like I guess it was like our job to try and convince them to do what we wanted but but like using language that you know they wouldn't have like they like they would have accepted and you know wouldn't have bristled up too much against up up against them so it's like a sort of balancing act from like whereas a producer I guess of the show people with more power have like more liberty mm. to just you know to ask and say what they want directly the writers and the writers kind of have to be a bit more uh cunning <laughs> about how they you have to present it in the right way yeah like you said yeah. you have to use the right language and and package it up <laughs> nicely yeah. did you I mean what did you ever pitch a story that a storyline that got picked up? Um, yeah, one or two um, that I can remember. Definitely my time. Was there one that was like a favorite? Uh, one that was a favorite, I think. Oh, like yeah, definitely the. I'm I'm Indian, and those there are there are Indian characters in the show, so I'd, I'd always try to pitch for those characters as much as I could. And um, I like pitched like an arranged marriage story, but like a modern, like a modern arranged marriage story. Kind of like if anyone's seen like Indian matchmaking on tell it like on Netflix now, like one of those stories, um, which got picked up and they made that, and it was quite nice. Cause it was quite a refreshing sort of like like did away with like antiquated sort of ideas of like what. Um, I guess modern arranged marriage looks like for the Indian community. Um, well, that was quite nice, quite heartening to to have like pitched that and for that to have, I guess, resonated and ended up on screen. And for that to be seen by just the sheer number of people that then get exposed to that reality and consume that story, like that's quite amazing. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Indian? This is a complete side. Mm-hmm. It's a side thread but Indian matchmaker. Oh, I love it. Um, me and my partner just binged the absolute shit out of it. And, yeah, it was just hilarious. It's just absolutely hilarious. and So good. Yeah. I laughed so much. Yeah, those characters are just absolutely bonkers. <laughs> um, Definitely. I mean, like so much entertainment, it's like kind of the, not maybe extremes the wrong word, but, you know, they're picking people who are. Yeah. Going to deliver that entertainment factor. And it was nice that I guess the characters were the like absurd, the absurd part of the show. And it wasn't like the concept was absurd. Like the concept's normal. Like this is just people trying to look for love. But then, you know, like not turning, like not exoticizing the sort of the way that Indian people get match made. It was quite yeah, nice. It was, it's quite, it was quite matter of fact, I thought, in the way it was all presented. It's like mm. this is a very commonplace thing and like this is how it goes down and you're exactly yeah. right it's like it's the people as in life it's the people who are yeah who are nuts <laughs> seeing that and and kind of having this window into the experience it is so exoticized I guess in all in all kind other kind of media but it's really not that different from the bachelor oh, 100%, the bachelorette yeah. like it's the exact same thing it's someone yeah. who's looking for love they go to a yeah. third party and say hey I need a hand with this. And that third party goes, okay, I'm going to go find you a selection of people who might be a good fit and we'll like send you on dates and see how, like that's literally. That's <laughs> it, yeah. 
pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So to um come back to the thread where we were going before we started to talk about, you know, Netflix. Yeah. Binge-worthy blockbusters. Neighbours definitely does get like a lot of credit for having more representative cast and storylines than, well, than Home and Away, which is obviously its main competitor, but also than other Australian television in general. Mm. Um, like how did it feel as an Indian person to have a hand in creating some of those stories? How did it feel? Well, I yeah. guess um... – I mean, for the majority of the time that I was in at Neighbours, I was the only person of colour working um, on the writing, in the writing side of it all, um, in-house. Um, so that kind of made things a bit difficult, you know, a little bit to try and sort of talk about those things openly mm. um, in the room. But the, yeah, I guess the way that the, the show works is like, um, all the characters are kind of not uh, their race isn't as important, I guess. They're just sort of characters um, that do things, and they're all capable of doing a whole bunch of different things, regardless of their race. And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely nice to see some more representation on on the screen. But I wouldn't necessarily say that you know the stories that were that got told were always necessarily stories like about the experience of being a person of colour. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's like this is, these are just stories about yeah. people in general and the experiences that any given person might have rather yeah. than thinking identity in terms of like those parameters first. Yeah, there was, yeah that kind of interrogation doesn't really sit and doesn't really have a, that big a place in a show like Neighbours, I don't think. Obviously you've mentioned that you were the only person of colour writing for your stint. Mm. Did you feel, was there sort of like an expectation on you at all, whether that was real or whether that was just, you know, felt um, that you had to be, like that you should be presenting those storylines or like that you should be? Yeah, I guess definitely at the beginning, I think, when I like first stepped in there, I definitely like felt that pressure and that's maybe like, I mean, like definitely like real things happen there. Like people would, would literally be asking me questions about like, what would this like Indian character do or like, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And I was like sort of asked to pitch on like the Indian characters perhaps um, sometimes, not all the time. Uh, but that sort of, I guess, disappeared over the time that I was there. And that mainly just, I guess, was just me like getting more comfortable in that space and like not I'm um, holding myself up to that sort of uh, like ideal. Um, but also just like learning that, that neighbors wasn't going to be the place to sort of explore my own Indian identity within it. You know, like I just didn't feel that pressure to do that there. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. It's like, this is, you sort of know the, the boundaries of the medium that you're, yeah. Well, not even the medium, but you know the boundaries of the specific like place and that that you're working on. Yeah. And what that's going to be able to kind of like accommodate and what it's not. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have felt that like in in certain workplaces I'm I'm Asian, like I am Anglo Burmese. Mm. Um that 
like there's almost been an expectation to be like the sense check or the mm. diversity check or whatever yeah. not not from my presence but for me to be the person that says like hey you know if we're pitching talent do we have the right spread of talent or yeah. you know should we be looking in other places or should we be talking to other writers like but I don't know how much of that was just like a burden that I felt on my own shoulders yeah versus one that others were actually putting on me I don't know it's so yeah. complicated yeah I mean it's I think it really sucked being the only person of color there um, because it just meant that I couldn't really have those conversations with someone else. I couldn't really get outside of my own, my own head to really figure out, you know, how much of myself to put out there when it came to like uh, my like identity, cultural identity. Mm. Um, yeah. Just that kind of just sucked. I would say. And especially being, you know, the, like the only person it's like well okay but also your experience of being an Indian growing up in Australia is not the experience like it's not the only experience like you're not the you know you're not the reference book on this entire lived experience and you can't be (laughs) nobody can be it's all nobody can be yeah I mean I think for a lot of media tv Australian tv like I'll just say it, I think Australian TV is super, super white um, amongst other things and that's not just in scripted television but reality TV and, you know, news programs and, you know, infotainment programs and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like digital media, like any kind of broadcast media, like including radio, print media, I think it's all quite – I mean, we're like really slow to pushing better representation of the population in our media – Um, But something that I've definitely heard in my career, like more so in magazines in particular, is like being fed this line that catering to more diverse audiences or consumers is not what like quote unquote sells and won't be like successful, Um, which I personally just think is not true. (laughs) It's really wrong. Um, Does that like... I mean, I know we don't need to talk specifically about any show or any like network or anything, but is that something that's still thrown around in like TV, in the TV world or not really? I uh, I guess like people wouldn't like be openly talking about how much they hate people <laughs> of colour um, or like, you know, like um, any sort of marginalised group. I think like, you know, white people in the arts, like, feel guilty enough to sort of at least out loud say they want more diversity. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think, I guess my idea, my hope is that, you know, if a story is, you know, really, really culturally specific, um, that, that it can sort of become really interesting and also, like, universal, like, in its specificity because... Um, people people just behave how they behave, and that's that's very relatable to anyone, regardless of the the color of their skin. Just my hope that like the talent at least is given a chance to like prove that those stories are um, like viable. I definitely believe that those stories are interesting. Um, I just hope that people get the chance to prove prove that. It's funny because that's like what we were just saying about Indian Matchmaker, right? Like mm. that is as you say, a quite a specific 
story yeah. about a specific experience that, I mean, I didn't have. Like I've, I, yes, that's exactly, not my yeah. culture and I've never been exposed to it. But there was so much in that that I was like, yep, that's me, that's me, that's yeah. me. Like I've said those things, yeah. I've done these things, I've thought these things. So even though it's like completely different to what I've had in my own life, there's still something so relatable in the story, even yeah. as specific as it is. Yes. Yeah, I think like, I mean, like in order to like sell that sort of stuff, you kind of have to prove to like a production company or the or the network or whoever like is going to sort of pay- payroll the thing. You need to prove to them like that there's – that, like there's going to be an audience for that um but like yeah when it's when it's new ideas coming from like uh communities that like haven't really been listened to previously it's hard to come to them and be like this is like a i can prove that this will have an audience i guess all we can do is just like hope and like hope that we're just given the chance to, to, to do that because because it, it can be done like within your matchmaking like it can happen but also like it's fine if it doesn't like things suck all the time <laughs> uh yes like it's yeah. not always because yeah yeah sometimes when things fail it's like not always the reason why we might want to like conveniently think that they failed yes yeah it might be because our idea is shitty <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure there's like a really shit brown writer out there um <laughs> yeah it's not you it's not me <laughs> it's definitely not me <laughs> But I'm sure there's someone out there. I think sometimes as well, like, I mean, as a, I, I feel like I straddle too well sometimes because I obviously am a consumer of media, but I work in media. So you see like both sides of the curtain. Yeah. And sometimes I do kind of have this feeling as well, like the audience doesn't realize how much power they have in the equation. Mm. Um, and, you know, if if we like as a society say that we want to see more of these stories and we want to see, you know, all kinds of different people making art and entertainment that we actually have to like fucking consume it. (laughs) We have to buy the tickets. We have to, you know, watch the shows. We have to listen to the music. Like we have an obligation as the audience to also do that. Totally, Um, totally, yeah. And I suppose with Neighbours, like, it's quite interesting because as you say, like, the fandom of that show is so intense and so strong and they're, like, Mm. really vocal. And it kind of seems like they've been really supportive of those, of the evolution that that show has been on in terms of representing Australian society. Would you, do you feel like that's fair? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, they're not, I guess, shying away from including people of colour in the show and... That's great, and like not also not just people of color, but other sort of experiences. Like, there's a trans character on the show now as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is I think it Georgie Stone. Georgie Stone. Yeah, yes, it's like great to see that um, there's more there's more willingness, uh, not just from the side of the the show, the producers of the show, but also from like an audience and like wanting that. Really heartening to see. Do you think that audiences actually realize how much power they have, though? Oh. Uh, I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> like, I don't think so. I don't think people, when they're, like, sitting, like, down on their couch after a day at work are like, okay, I I am the king and I get to pick who gets my, you know, my pick and this is going to this is gonna be, like, I'm going to change the world with this choice that I've made. I think people just, like, watch what they watch and quite, like, numb to that sort of stuff. It's very invisible, you know? 
yeah, uh, cause and effect. It is. Like, I, I think I would definitely agree with you on that. You know, we see people get mad about articles or news stories that get written, but then mm. they keep clicking on the stories. <laughs> um, and from, yeah. like, you know, there's a commercial relationship there too. Like you sell the advertising space around it. So if you're, if someone's clicking on the story, yeah. you're, you're reiterating to the people behind the scenes who are creating that content. Oh, the audience wants more of these because the number on this is really high and it wants less yeah. of the other stuff. Um, but I definitely, I don't know that broadly that the audience realizes like that they can dictate it that much. And if they really threw their weight behind something collectively it would actually yeah. sway the powers that be a lot of the time because it does oh, come down sure. to like numbers, right? Totally. And like, that's why I like shock jocks, like have such a huge career is because like, yeah, right. Don't like necessarily agree with anything like that they're saying, but like, it's really hard and like it's to like uh, avoid the temptation of like clicking on, on a bullshit article and like, you just do it and like everyone does it. You, st- you um, just want to know what you just kind of want to know. Yeah. It's like, you kind of want to know like what, yeah. Like what the, what the commotion is and, like that happens like that means that they like get more content made so yeah like i guess however you can get the clicks i mean you can argue like yeah immoral or moral like a click's a click it's such a it's such a fine yeah such a fine line and you know you have to still protect that user experience like it you still got to give someone close to what they were expecting to get from a story yeah um and, you know, I imagine the same from the TV side of things. It's like you, there are, you know, teasers and ads that kind of like allude to what's going to happen and that can kind of stray a little bit from what the storyline might be but not too far that people get pissed. Yeah, or or you like make them get pissed on purpose and like then that like <laughs> works in your favour. Like it's just like it's bizarre. Like there's no science to it. It's like what makes a meme go viral? Who knows? Oh, I don't know. I've been trying to figure that out for years. Yeah. I'll keep trying. <laughs> What's more fun to write? Is it the story that you know will make people mad? I feel like that's what it is. Or is it the happy ending? Oh, oh I think like, I mean, like for me, like I love making, not people, people mad, but like I love to like at least not like um, uh, satiate them, or, like not satiate them, um, like pacify or something like mm. it's nice to just like especially like in comedy like you kind of want to get out there and like just just like be an absolute idiot and be annoying be annoying i think it's like a fun thing to do you want to um, provoke a response provo- yeah provoke <laughs> and like yeah and it like or like create intrigue those kinds of things yeah, I, yeah. I, I get that it's it's the tension is where all good things come from in storytelling we can't yeah. just we can't just op- offer up a nice, neat story every single time because then people will stop watching, listening, reading. <laughs> They'll all yeah, disappear. I mean, then everything just becomes like like very easy to like um, uh, anticipate, and that's that's what creates boredom. And that's it's... how my life is right now, day by day. I anticipate the same just... thing. I'm locked in oh, my no. house. <laughs> Have you have you found like this kind of crazy time creatively stimulating or draining or you know either or depending on the day? I think either or depending on the day like yeah the like sort of comedy brain in me the one who like likes having a live audience there and just to you know be like sort of uh creatively invigorated by like a live setting that part's definitely like just 
hating life right now, but the sort of uh, hermit, um, uh, recluse, creative side of me is loving sometimes just being being able to be at home, like have the excuse to just stay at home all day and stare at a computer, computer screen and a blank page. So the, the introspective part. Yeah, it's a bit of both. There's just like not having any like choice over what part gets to flex is the annoying part. You have a very funny Twitter. I really, um, oh. your Twitter makes me laugh a lot. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so more tweets, please. That's oh, my, sure. yeah. my request. I, I can definitely guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try to end on something that's a little bit more, I don't know, implementable, some kind of like yeah. takeaway for the people who will yeah, listen. Yeah, happy um, ending <laughs> some kind of happy ending we're trying to find as many as them that we can at the moment what's the one thing that you want people to think about when they're consuming whatever their kind of like favorite entertainment in this country like is there any kind of um, is there anything that we should keep in mind as we like you know as we were just talking about just happily go and leaning into the things that we enjoy yeah well, this might be like a very specifically targeted, implementable lesson, Go but I think like to just like young uh, people of colour, like you can write the shows that you see on TV because if someone had told me that at a, when I was a kid, that would have been very handy because it took a long time to realise that I could. So that would be my that would be my thing to tell people. If you're a kid... <laughs> you don't see yourself on screen don't worry you can still fucking write shows and to follow from that follow-up cue yeah what what what, how you know how do they someone who wants to try and start right now I mean interesting time to start but still like what should they what do they need to do first what do they need to do first? Um, uh, learn the craft of, I mean, I'm a screenwriter, like learn the craft of the thing that you want to do. If it's screenwriting, learn the craft of screenwriting, read screenplays, uh, figure out what like institutes teach that, like enroll, um, just make stuff, uh, like get your name out there, like in any way you can. Just, uh, yeah, like just start learning it. This is going to expose me as someone who listens to Gary V, but oh. something that he says all the time is like that we right now are living in a time where the gatekeepers don't have as much power as they used mm. to for just getting stuff out there. Like it doesn't mean that you're going to like secure a huge funding grant with your first, you know, little home project that you do, but you actually have all of the tools now to make it if you have a smartphone and an internet connection. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like not, it's not like completely inaccessible. Pathan, thank you so much for having this little chat with me. No worries. Thank you. As always, to any of you listening, if you have thoughts and opinions about Australian media and representation and identity and how you see yourself in the entertainment that you consume, feel free to send me a message about it. My DMs are always open or you can send an email to hey at zfeed.com.au. And if you think the world needs more of these big, good conversations about the stuff that matters, you can share Debatable with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, or just keep talking about it all. We want to change the world one conversation at a time.